Hello again, I'm Drew McKenna, and welcome to Grafted Branches, a podcast all about getting to know Jesus in the land and time he lived. And as always, with me today is my wife, Deborah. Hello, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to our podcast. We enjoy sharing with you insights from Jesus' first century world that helps us better understand his message and then live it out in our broken, hurting world. Uh, Today, I'd like to start the podcast by reading a quote from a very popular speaker on a subject titled, Let Love Be Your Guide. Love requires us to give ourselves away. However, as we do, the Bible promises that the blessings of God will chase us down and overtake us. See Luke uh, 6.38. As we focus on others and our relationships, we will also discover more joy in our own lives. The Lord wants to help you be enthusiastic about loving other people every single day of your life. As you do kind and caring things, you are loving them like Christ and building stronger connections. If you will simply take the time to start investing in others, notice what their needs are, and then put that knowledge into action, this will lead to greater relationships in every area of your life. As we love and serve each other, it creates an atmosphere for great relationships. So, what are your first impressions of the speaker's statement? Well, although it's always important to care for the needs of people and look for ways in which we can help others, there's a very troublesome portion in this quote that concerns me when she says, quote, the Bible promises that the blessings of God will chase us down and overtake us when you give. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. Well, I chose this quote because it refers to a misunderstood principle or idea which can be found throughout the scriptures. This is a conversation I look forward to exploring today, the Hebraic idiom, measure for measure. Uh, In Hebrew, this principle is known as ba mitah she'adam moed ba mudaliim lo. Let me re-say that so I get it right here. Ba mitah she'adam moed ba Modim lo. With the measure that a man uses to measure, it is measured to him. A simpler way of putting it is this way measure for measure. And they say in Hebrew, midah keneget midah. The speaker you quoted mentions Luke 6.38, but never actually quotes this Bible verse. Instead, the speaker attempts to summarize what Jesus taught by saying God's blessings will chase us down and overtake us. Just so we can all be on the same page, let me read what Jesus actually said in Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. When we pulled out of context and isolated it by itself, it seems to not be such a bad thing after all. Just think, give and shall be given to you. And if that's correct, they will pour it on us. These are really very intoxicating things to grasp hold of. We all want to be loved and blessed by others. 
Riches, fame, fortune, and more. Who wouldn't want such a thing if all we had to do was to give? <laughs> there, there have been entire ministries that have risen up in our modern era teaching this prosperity message. But there's just one problem. Our speaker left out the rest of the story. By plucking this verse out of its context, the speaker turned it into something that was never meant to be, a manipulative formula of how to become wealthy in this life. What our listeners need to remember, and importantly, study for themselves, is that this verse is neatly tucked into the middle of about 30 Bible verses of Jesus teaching his followers how to live out their faith in relation to others. When Jesus summarizes his teaching all together this way, quote, For by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. What our listeners may not know is this is exactly what the rabbis taught, except for one thing. Jesus upped the bar and made it personal. I think it's time that we go into more detail about this principle that is seen throughout both the Old and New Testaments. Jewish thinkers uh, before Jesus' time noticed a pattern throughout the Bible, that the consequences of a sin often fit the crime, or measure for measure. Our listeners may be surprised to hear it, but it comes right from God. Let me read to you from Exodus 4, 22-23. God tells Moses to say to Pharaoh, Israel's my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Oh, that's pretty strong language. Sure is. Uh, and then in Exodus twenty-two, twenty-two to 24, God instructs Israel saying, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their voice. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. In other words, God warned the people that if they mistreated widows or orphans, he will punish the oppressors' families and make their women widows and their children orphans. Essentially, they will experience the same hardships that they had inflicted on others. Our modern culture says things like, what goes around comes around, or he reaped what he sowed. I think humanity, since the day of creation, has a basic understanding that actions have consequences. Uh, Deborah, give us some other examples of measure for measure uh, from the Bible. Well, in Exodus, Pharaoh commanded the Egyptian people to drown the Hebrew baby boys in the Nile River. Later, his army drowned in the Nile while pursuing the Israelites. Then there's the story of Samson in the book of Judges. Most of his adult life, Samson lusted after things he saw. An example of this is in the story of Delilah in Judges chapter 16. Quote, Samson went to Gaza, saw a harlot, and went into her. Then, at the end of his life, Samson was captured by the Philistines who gouged out his eyes. In other words, he lusted with his eyes, so in the end, he was punished through that which he sinned. It's important to see there's a pattern in the Bible, from the first to the last book, of how God dealt with sin. 
the consequences often fit the crime or offense. For instance, Jacob deceived his father by taking advantage of his blindness. In the same way, Jacob was deceived by Laban when Leah was substituted for Rachel on his wedding night when he couldn't see her. A more ominous example is in the story of Esther. Uh, Haman was angry with Mordecai for not bowing down to him. So he built the gallows to have Mordecai hanged. Eventually, Haman was forced to publicly bow down to Mordecai, and he was hung on the very gallows he built to hang. When we see things, most can't help but smile at this poetic justice. We also can't help but notice these things aren't just aren't some random events. God is ultimately in control. In the case of Jacob and his deception of his father, Isaac, we learn that God did not condone his actions. He let Jacob suffer the consequences of that sin in a very similar way. And don't forget, Laban had no idea Jacob had deceived his father, Isaac. In fact, Laban was excited to see his nephew and offered him a place to live and work. Well, like many of us, when we lie and deceive, I imagine Jacob thought he had gotten away with this deception. However, if we are honest with ourselves, we know and live in fear that our own lies, deceptions, and evil actions will be paid back in kind, measure for measure. Let's take a look at the life of Job. I think we will see an interesting example of measure for measure here. First, I would like to thank Lois Tverberg of Engedi Resource Center for her insights into this topic. Let me read what she wrote. Quote, There's an interesting conversation between Job and his friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. Job, of course, was a pious man who suffered for no reason he could find. His friends, however, asserted that God is all-powerful, perfectly just, and knows every person's sins. So, therefore, Job, somehow, had to have deserved his trials. I want to bring this up because humans have a tendency to forget there are some things beyond our control. And frankly, this is what happened to Job. And yet, these friends wanted to blame Job for the disaster which fell on him. For instance, they said to him, Far be it from God to do wickedness, and for the Almighty to do wrong, for he pays a man according to his work and makes him find it according to his way. But Job hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, the very first book of verse of the book says that he was blameless, fear God and turn from evil. What neither Job or his friends knew was what was going on between God and Satan. They didn't have, nor were they ever given, any insight into what was going on. Eventually, all of what Job lost was restored to him, but it only happened after he, quote, repented. The interesting part here is that uh, he admits his sin was not considering God. He did all the right things in life, but really never considered God was the creator and designer of everything. Lois Tverberg puts it all together by reminding us that, quote, it might be tempting, as Job's friends did, to assume that all our problems come from midah keneged midah, God giving us our just desserts for some sin in the past. 
but both the Old and the New Testaments loudly disagree. Job's friends applied this logic to tell him that his suffering must be the punishment for some sin, but God finally entered the scene. He declared they had not spoken of him rightly. The underlying message is that we shouldn't use this logic on each other or look for reasons why others suffer. Measure for measure is not an excuse or finger to point at others. In the story of Job, all of his loss came by no fault of his own. However, he was restored after his friends asked forgiveness for their bad advice, and lest we forget, Job forgave them. The story of Job is a great example of measure for measure, what it is and what it is not. And Jesus strongly points out in Luke chapter 13 that none of us are without sin. When he was asked about the murder of a Galilean Jews in the temple by Pilate, he said this, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Were those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. The measure for measure principle is about the things we can control in our lives, our behavior, our interaction with others, And when tragedy or illness happens to others, we must not assume it's because of some hidden sin or poor life choices they've made. Deborah, you made a comment earlier that Jesus' words have been plucked out of their context. So let's go back and take a look at the context of Jesus' remarks in Luke chapter 6 as he spoke to a large crowd, and I bet our listeners will start to see the whole picture. Let me start. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other, and whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardoned, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And then, after a few more illustrations, Jesus turns and says, 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Oh, that's a verse we don't hear quoted from the pulpit. Well, even Paul taught new Gentile believers and churches the principles of measure for measure. In a letter he wrote to the church in Galatia, he said this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The best part is he also taught it applied not just to our sins, but also to our successes. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. When Paul wrote, Do not let us lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap, I couldn't help but think all too often, it seems like doing good rarely gets paid back. Could it be that that's part of the problem? We want to get paid back? What I find really interesting is just after saying not to grow weary, Paul writes this, Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How many times have we seen people crushed and hurt by other believers? where they should have the greatest support. While I'm sure Paul's reference is to our church communities, a household of faith also includes our immediate family. Unfortunately, I hear story after story of people who, for all outward appearances, were considered a person of faith. And then it comes out how badly they treated their spouse, children, and extended family members. The point we have to make about measure for measure is... For the most part, it's about how each of us treats others, from our closest relationships to our most casual, from the people we work with to our next-door neighbors, from the moment we get up until when we go to sleep. How we treat others is important to God. Well, at the beginning of this podcast, I quoted a popular speaker who, on the surface, made a great-sounding statement about treating others with love. So let me read it again. Love requires us to give ourselves away. However, as we do, the Bible promises that the blessings of God will chase us down and overtake us. As we focus on others and our relationships, we will also discover more joy in our own lives. So when we listen closely to this, something ominous can be heard. It's really all about, I will receive by my actions. It's really all about me in the end. From the beginning of the Bible to the very end, from generation to generation, people have a problem with narcissism. It's all about me. If anybody has any doubt about this, just look at the heart of all our social media and how we interact with it. Even our churches and popular ministries are all too often revolve around a single person. So the Hebraic idiom... Measure for measure is not a give-to-get principle. To manipulate, twist, or pluck a scripture out of this, its context for our own benefit is a sin. It's what the Bible calls iniquity. For example, if we give money to a ministry with the hope of receiving a 100-fold reward, it can only be called one thing, 
Greed. Doing so is all about me and not really the one who receives the funds. Even worse is telling others they will be blessed by giving money to my ministry. Sadly, such ideas aren't limited to people of faith. The same thing affects almost all our secular communities. We also can't assume all problems in life come to us because of some sin we must have committed. When illness or tragedy hits, we often want to look for fault to answer why there is suffering. Job's friends watched him suffer, and in trying to determine the reason, blamed Job. They correctly believed it couldn't be God, so therefore, Job Job must have committed some sin for him to be paid back in such a horrible way. You know, I have to ask, when we see a homeless person, do we make a judgment of how they got there and ignore their needs? Could measure for measure apply to us? A wise old 18th century uh, sage once said, When a poor man asks you for aid, do not use his faults as an excuse for not helping him. For then God will look at your offenses or faults, and he is sure to find many. In Proverbs 21.13 we learn, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. We too could be ignored in our time of need. We must never use measure for measure to condemn others as Job's friends did. Drew, wouldn't you say it's all too easy to look back at the lives of Jacob, Samson, and Pharaoh with smugness as we see how the consequences of their sin fit the crime? It's easy to point the fingers at others' mistakes or make judgments about the lives their lives and forget to evaluate our own. So how did Jesus use the principle of midah kaneget midah in his teaching? Joseph Frankovic offers some excellent insight I'd like to share. He writes, This is a good opportunity to introduce a principle that I have formulated for interpreting Jesus' teachings. I call it the principle of what I don't want to hear principle. This principle is useful for interpreting the Synoptic Gospels because, although some sayings of Jesus are difficult to understand, there are even more are difficult to obey. When reading the Synoptic Gospels, I noticed that Jesus often said, what I would rather not hear. So if we read a teaching of Jesus and our response is, my human nature resists that, or I don't want to hear that. Our interpretation is probably more or less accurate. Some of the things Jesus emphasized in his teachings stand as strong warnings to those who belong to the community of faith. Jesus made statements about not lapsing into prideful judgmentalism. Jesus taught that our attitude towards other people, outsiders, even sinners, must be like God's. So here's an excellent opportunity to apply the principle of what we don't want to hear. It has become obvious that Jesus' teaching suggests that the principle of midah neged... Keneged. Keneged. There we go. Sorry. Midah, keneged, midah may be applied only when it challenges our human nature, when it challenges me personally. When does it challenge our human nature? 
Well, it does when we must show mercy to those who deserve none. When we forgive those who do not deserve forgiveness. When we give to those who don't deserve help and to treat others as we want to be treated. These are the things that we would rather not hear. When we show mercy, forgive, and give to others, God acts likewise to us. So at the end of the day, none of us wants to hear Jesus say this thing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Oh, I don't want to hear that. I believe that most of our listeners, like myself, desire instead to hear these words from our Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And with those words, we have to say goodbye and thank you all for listening to this podcast. We want to give a special thank you to Lois Tefferberg and Joseph Frankovic for their words and insights on Measure for Measure. Additionally, we would like to encourage you to go to our website, graftedbranches.org, where you will find articles and links about Jesus in his first century context. As always, we want to leave you with this. Get Get to to know know him, him, what what he he taught, taught, and and go go live live it. it. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha